This is an Australian Museum podcast. Welcome to Live Talks at the AM, recorded in front of a live audience at the Australian Museum in Sydney. Before we start, I would like to show my respect and acknowledge the Gadigal of the Eora Nation who are the traditional custodians of this land on which we meet this evening. Welcome everyone to the second of two talks dedicated to nature and wildlife photography. I'd like to thank our partners, Australian Geographic and Digital Camera Warehouse for making tonight possible. Tonight we'll be hearing from Luke Sharp, an award-winning landscape and nature photographer. Luke travels Australia and the world capturing amazing landscapes. In fact, he just came back from an assignment on the Lara Pinta Trail in the Northern Territory. Luke will be wowing us with tales of some of his most powerful images some of which you'll have seen in the Australian Geographic Nature Photographer of the Year exhibition. And if we're lucky enough, he'll also talk about what it takes to capture images for the cover of Australian Geographic. Please join me in welcoming Luke. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, and thank you so much, everybody, for, for joining me here tonight. I'd also like to thank Australian Museum and Australian Geographic for the opportunity. Um, it's amazing to have an hour where you can talk about yourself. It's not very often that sort of thing happens, but um, it's really great that, um, that the invite was thrown my way, and I really appreciate that. Um, and how good is the exhibition? I, I've, been, I've seen it a few times, and every time it blows me away, I always see something a little bit new and something a bit different. And um, I'm really um, um, honoured this year to have three prints in the exhibition. Um, and I guess tonight I decided I would talk about how I got into the position of actually capturing those images. Because a lot of people um, seeing them, um, it's, it's, a, it's on, the, on the wall, but how did it actually come to be? Um, you know, what is it that led me to take nature photos? What was my inspiration? How did we do it? Um, I'll also talk a little bit about my infrared photography. Um, Instagram, and I'll also finish talking a little bit about what traits um, and, and things are really important for um, nature photographers and, and what makes them successful. So I thought um, I'll begin by introducing myself. So I am a landscape photographer, so tonight's presentation is very skewed towards landscapes and not so much the uh, macro world or wildlife so much. I live on the northern beaches here in Sydney. And my photographic interests include wilderness photography, infrared photography, wide field astrophotography, and seascapes. Seascapes are very plentiful in the northern beaches, which is very handy. I've got a professional background in quality assurance, uh, and I'll talk a bit about that. And um, I'm a Nissi Filters ambassador. Um, I'll talk a bit about that too. And I run private and group photo workshops. And so generally when you're a photographer, the first thing that people ask you is what camera do you use? And so I thought I'd get that over and done with straight away. Um, so I use a Sony a7R Mark II as my main body. Uh, it's a very um, high resolution 42 megapixel sensor. Um, I use a Sony 16-35, or I did use now I use a Canon, but the 16-35 is my primary um, landscape lens. And um, yeah, macro is 70-200 and my infrared body um, is, is pretty much the same size as my um, main, main body there. So um, that um, makes it very easy when I'm um, hiking. And that, that's really what this, hiking, this kit's skewed towards is lightweight hiking. And, and so we'll certainly um, touch on those points down the track. 
Uh, my tripod, I use Surui tripods, which are, which are really great. And I also take a whole bunch of safety gear, uh, head torch, a personal locator beacon is really important if you're out in the wilderness. Um, I also take a, a rock boots as well if it's um, near the ocean. Um, they've got a great grip that stops you from slipping off the rock shelves. And other equipment, uh, things like old brackets, spare batteries, um, rain covers, and, and um, solu uh, um, solutions for cleaning uh, lenses as well. And as I mentioned, I'm a Nissi Filters ambassador, so I do have a nice range of Nissi filters, and I do resell filters if you're ever um, interested in, in purchasing any. My journey. So I wanted to tell you a bit about my background because for me personally, I, I never actually expected to be end, ending up doing what I'm doing now. Um, and so I, I didn't really grow up going out into the wilderness. And so I wanted to sort of show you guys how it came to be and how I ended up in this place. And um, I actually have come from a corporate background. So I did a Bachelor of Science and I'm majoring in microbiology. So I'm actually a microbiologist. And I did a career, um, I started my career in the Brossa Valley, uh, which is actually where my family live. And Brossa is, um, that's where my sort of last name comes from. It's very German, it's a very German area. Um, and my family is still there. So it's um, beautiful landscape. And the countryside's really amazing up there as well. And I took a few photos while I was in the Brossa, living up there. But back then, um, all I had was an 8 megapixel digital camera, which was actually quite big for back then. And I didn't really um, have a big passion for it. Um, and I enjoyed taking photos. Um, but yeah, I didn't have the passion. So I, and that all changed when I, I moved to Melbourne for my next job. Um, and when I moved to Melbourne, I became really in, uh, I fell in love with the skyline. Um, I thought it was amazing. Um, I guess living in Adelaide, you don't really have that. And so I um, felt compelled to photograph it. And, and so much so that I actually bought my first DSLR, which was a Canon 450D. And um, that really um, began my love of photography. So I started really shooting cityscapes and I photographed all around the city. Um, I was out most nights after work um, and I refined my skills learning how to photograph in the blue hour after sunset. I didn't use any filters back then, so I was reliant on the, the light being balanced by, by the, um, the blue hour. And I, I was searching for reflections a lot of the time too. I enjoyed my time in Melbourne photographing the cityscapes there, but, and, and it was really hard to leave, um, but I did actually get another job and I moved to Sydney. And so I freshly arrived in Sydney and I guess as soon as I hit the ground here, I decided to do the same thing because that's all I knew and I started to search for stunning cityscapes to shoot around Sydney. And, um, you know, I would head out on nights, weekends and any free time that I had and I would try and find, uh, you know, different angles, um, looking for something different. Um, and, you know, I, I did that a lot heading out and shooting the harbour but after a while, it just all began to, began to feel all like the same. And so I felt like I'd photographed it from every angle. So what gave me the inspiration to, to change and find something new? Well, um, there's always one word in my mind. And that word is Tasmania. Uh, so my love affair... Uh, for nature photography started while I was on the overland track back in March 2013 
So it's actually only about three and a half years ago I've worked out that I started to, to go out into nature like that and photograph. So you can build up quite a lot in a, in a short period of time. Uh, and I didn't expect to fall in love with nature photography. Um, it, it sort of found me in a way. Um, and, and before I did the walk, I hadn't been on a multi-day hike. I hadn't done much camping before, apart from school camps. I didn't have any equipment at all. And so I spent thousands of dollars setting all of that up. And I spent a solid six months of physical training to, um, to be able to carry all of the weight that I had to carry. And so for those that don't know, most of you probably do, um, Overland Track's a, a 65k walk from Cradle Mount to Lake St. Clair. So you can see that in the, the red line there where it uh, cuts across Tassie. Um, it, it goes across the Tassie um, Wilderness World Heritage Area along an alpine plateau. Um, and it has an incredible landscape. The flora and fauna are just amazing. So we set out on our walk. We set up camp at Waterfall Valley Hut. And um, rather than rest our weary legs, we decided to climb back up to the escarpment that we'd just climbed down, and we photographed sunset. And um, we had a really amazing sunset up there. Uh, it was really my first experience of being out in the wilderness and actually having an amazing light. You know, we, we were, you know, many kilometres away from civilization, and it was just us um, just enjoying these amazing views. Um, and I guess it, the moment's always stuck with me, and I was awestruck, and, and I think that's really what, what gave me the bug. Uh, and, and also captured one of my favourite images that, that night as well, which is Barn Bluff. Um, that's the track that leads up to the summit of the bluff. Uh, and um, we, we totally felt that the effort was worth it once something like that happened. Um, and and it, the light continued, and we found a few other um, compositions. When the, when the light's good, you always want to make the most of it because... This was the best light of the whole trip on the first night, so you have to make the most of it um, when, when it's there. Uh, and then later in the walk, um, third night, um, Barn Bluff um, near Lake Windermere, we did get a bit, bit of light there too. And um, towards the middle of the track, um, Mount Oakley. Um, this is the standard view from New Pelion Hut, um, one of the most amazing places to spend the night, I think there is, um, and, and that's a moody sunrise there. So eventually we finished the overland track and, and I was definitely hooked. Uh, and so this is me at the end of the overland track at Ninassas' hut. And um, I'm grinning ear to ear because I'd been inspired by the Tasmanian landscape. And I wanted to go back. I wanted to experience those feelings that I had felt when I was out there. Because when you get back to the city and you're in a concrete jungle, all of that seems so far away, and you, you, once you've had that experience, you, you just you can't can't wait to go back. And I, fe I began searching through images online. Um, I, I wanted to learn more about Tasmania and, and find other areas that I could explore. And um, I found a lot of places on my search, but um, there was one place that really um, stuck out from all the others, and that was in this image. And um, I became captivated by this image. Um, it was um, it's been it was taken by a, a very famous photographer, Peter Dombrovskis, who's, who's probably my photographic idol. And uh, I saw it, and I needed to know more about this place. Uh, and so I looked into Peter's life and, and his photographic work. And you know, Peter f photographed on a large format technical camera. It was very heavy. It was very cumbersome and very error prone. And he would carry this um, huge camera, large format camera, 
uh, in the wilderness for days at a time, but he would also be carrying his food and everything he needed to survive out there. So it's an incredible feat to even get the equipment out there and then to take images that have got him into the photographic hall of fame is, is something quite else. And, um, you know, he's very famous for his image of Rock Island Bend. Um, so this is Peter's image. Um, you know, he helped to save the Franklin Loop River from, from being dammed back in 1982 with this image. And Peter passed away in 1996 when I was 14 years old. Now, that was before I even began to photograph. Uh, so, so this was one of his actual last images that he ever took. Um, and, and it's definitely one of my favourites. It's of um, Mount Hayes in, in the Western Arthur Range. And, um, you know, these sort of scenes have a, had a big effect on me. And I was also obsessed by the Lake Oberon image. And so we decided to, that we'd actually start planning a trip to, into the Western Arthurs. And um, we did that with some friends in February. We planned it for February 2015. So the Western Arthurs is sometimes known as the hardest on-track walk in Australia. Um, we, we didn't even do the hardest part when we went there, so I'll put my hand up and say that. Um, we knew it was going to be difficult and we began planning it very early. So we, we began planning in early 2014 for, for February 2015. So we spent a whole a year. Um, we worked out the route we would walk. We worked out where to camp. Um, we realised that you know, what we took was going to be very important because um, there's a lot of climbing and a lot of ele elevation gain and we weren't going to be able to take all of our lenses. Um, so we needed to keep all of our pack weights low. And so coming from a scientific background, I took a more of a scientific approach and we decided to weigh everything. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, and put it up on a spreadsheet. Um, in some cases, we repurchased items to make them lighter as well. So I, I bought a new tripod saving 500 grams, for example. And you know, on weight, my pack weight was 25 kilograms, but you know, including the water and everything else, it was probably well over that. I did throw a few little things in at the last minute. And after all of that, and we, we planned the hike. Um, so, so we realized that also, if we're gonna do all of that, um, this isn't the full list, um, we were going to need to be very fit um, so we planned a little hike before the Western Arthurs trip and I guess it just seemed natural that we would go back to do the overland track again. And so um, a, few, a, a month or so before we actually left on the Western Arthurs, we did the overland track again just to get our legs ready. Um, and it was really a big bonus because at that time of year the, um, the Scoparia was flowering which is a, a, a native Tasmanian plant and, and it's just absolutely stunning. Um, the flower heads are probably a lot smaller than you expect seeing this image. The lens was quite close to them, but they are very striking when you look across the landscape. And along the track, the alpine pivot was also flowering, and the same scene at, um, at uh, of Mount Oakley at New Pelion Hut was really gorgeous in the light that we got there. And we did the hike between Christmas and New Year's, so we actually spent New Year's Eve on the summit of Mount Pelion East and we watched a cloud inversion roll down the face of Mount Osso, which is the tallest mountain in Tasmania. So who needs fireworks when you've got that going on, I reckon. Um, and including side trips, we walked about 100 k's over five days. So we certainly accomplished our training mission. And we were happy about that, so we knew that we were ready to tackle the Arthurs. And so finally, after a year of planning, in Feb 2015, we left our walk, we left to, to start the walk. And we'd planned to be on the track for eight days. 
so everything that we needed to survive for eight days was on our backs. That was our food, all of our um, sleeping bags, tents, and uh, most importantly, the camera gear, and it was all in there. We filled in the logbook and we set off. Uh, and so here I'm walking towards the Arthur's Plains of the Western Arthur Range in the distance. That pouch in the front has all my camera gear so that I can access the equipment quickly rather than having to put my bag down and open it up and you know, lifting um, 25 kilos up and down all the time gets very draining, so it makes it easy access. The hot, it was a hot day, it was about 30 degrees and you would have thought that that meant that um, the track would have been in a nice condition, but you know, unfortunately you know, there was still a bit of um, tough spots to negotiate. Um, think places like this you just can't um, do anything about. You just have to go straight through. This is a bit, I think it was about shin deep. Um, some parts were up to waist deep. It's just all part of the fun really and makes it getting there so much better. Um, sometimes, um, yeah. Oops, sorry about that. So we finally got to begin to climb up into the range. Um, when we hit Alpha Moraine, and so here um, you can see the actual track itself uh, trailing off back into the distance, uh, and um, we finally began to climb. It was about a 700 metre climb from memory to get up onto the actual um, Western Arthurs itself, and then once you get up the top, you go up and down and up and down, and the, the whole area is carved out by glaciers a um, long time ago. We walked um, down through towards Lake Cygnus, and then we camped down at Lake Cygnus. Uh, and there's a bit of a panorama um, of the lake uh, as we we're coming down. Um, and then heading out, uh, we, um, yeah, some spectacular views and looking back towards Mount Hayes and um, looking towards Mount Procyon and, and Mount Hayes with uh, Mount Sirius in the distance. And Mount Sirius um, is pretty much um, just beyond, so Mount Sirius is, oh, sorry about that. Mount Sirius is just there, so beyond that is where Lake Oberon is. So you still have to walk all the way down, then all the way up, and then there's another down, and then there's another up, and then down over that, and then, and then you're there. So um, that, that's where we're headed. Um, that's the next lake on, Lake Sirius, they look a bit the same. And then um, Square Lake, which is actually a really stunning location too, that's right next to Lake Oberon. And um, finally, you get your first glimpse of Lake Oberon. I'm pretty happy about that, getting that far. And um, that is about as steep as it looks. That's about 300 metres straight down. And that little spot there is where we set up camp. So the hardest part of the track is actually yet to come. That's why I'm smiling here, because um, I didn't know about it. And um, it was about a 10 to 15 metre vertical climb down with our full packs. It was quite an interesting thing, given we didn't have any rope. So we did get down the bottom and set up our camp. And um, it was an amazing campsite down there uh, and um, like really sandy and, and just a really nice, um, you know, had, had some water from the lake just nearby as well. Um, and, you know, it even had all of the mod cons, which is really hard to find in, out in the bush, like things like a, a bush toilet. Um, that was pretty good. Um, it's, it's amazing being out in a place like that and there's still something like that available. But it's great that they do that because otherwise all of the waste would eventually leach back into the, into the lake and, and what, a, what a terrible thing that would be. So the next morning we got up very early, about 3am, we hiked up to the saddle between Orion and Sirius, Mount Orion and Mount Sirius. And um, it was a very hard thing to do after a long walk. 
um, the day before to get up early. Uh, but the promise of incredible images really kept us focused to get up there. So again, you can see the campsites down here. So we've climbed all the way up along here and then up around up the top um, to photograph here for sunrise. So it gives you an idea of how early and, and that big climb that I was talking to you about that was hard, well, we had to do that about six or seven times, six times um, uh, throughout the time we were there. And this is obviously the one that ended up in, in the exhibition. Um, the thing I love about it is the backlit pandani. Um, pandani is um, a native heath plant to Tasmania. Um, amazing plant as a photographer. You, you just love seeing things like this in the landscape. And they light up like so well in infrared as well. It looks so good. Um, and so I saw the backlighting and so I really wanted to compose the image so that I could show that as well as the beautiful scene in the distance. And it did actually keep getting better. Um, so. Once the sun rose, um, we got a beautiful glow come across, and um, I love this because those, the shape of the uh, pandani reminds me a bit of the Southern Cross, uh, and um, yeah, just a beautiful warm glow, and, and um, I used a, a stop-down aperture just to get the, the sun star there as well. And um, we obviously took a lot of shots while we are up there. We actually had amazing weather. We thought that we'd be lucky to get one good day. Um, we actually got five good days. And for a place like that with such changeable weather, um, that's quite rare. Uh, so we counted ourselves very lucky. We actually did literally wake up pinching ourselves that the weather was like it was. Um, and we finally got up to Mount Sirius, which was um, a little bit further up from where we took the other images. And um, that's the other shot that's in the exhibition. So it's just a, a, a sort of a zoomed-in version of that, just really focusing on on the lake itself and, and showing the, the Western Arthur Range vanishing in the distance. And you've got um, Mount Pegasus here and, and the shadow of Mount Pegasus. I call this image shadow of Pegasus because that's the, the um, shadow of it. And, um, and so it's, yeah, it was just a stunning scene. And so we, um, you know, felt on top of the world up there. And um, uh, we, it's definitely my, one of my um, all-time favourite memories, being up on top, um, just looking down in the layers of mountains and, and um, yeah, one of the most amazing views you, I think you could, could, have, could ever see because it's one of the highest points in that whole, whole region. So you can see 360 um, out to the ocean and, and all sorts. And, and as much as we loved being up there, we did have to leave. Uh, and so we started to head out and so this is just a quick hyperlapse that I did of our walk on the way out and that, that first mountain was Mount Hayes and we're now walking um, along um, the ridge between Mount Hayes and, and um, walking down towards uh, Lake Cygnus and um, on the right there's Lake Petter up the top um, with Scott's Peak and um, as we head down you can see Cygnus there on the left and um, my friend's walking very fast. And it sort of gives you an idea of the terrain. It's actually pretty well paved, the, the walk, and it's great they have put effort into it to stop all of the erosion um, to make sure. It's, it is very rocky up there, though, too. And so um, then I think I catch up with my other friends here. I, I don't really recommend walking with hands in your pockets. It's a bit dangerous. But, um, you know, that's, that's the choices people make. And... Um, <laughs> And then, um, yeah, so it just gives an idea of the view um, that we had there. A bit of a cheeky grin at the end. And, um, you know, he was happy then, but then by the time we got down to this part, he was looking a bit more tired. 
And um, you know, this was the view from where we started. This is Alpha Moraine looking back over the Arthur Plains. And um, we were ecstatic that we'd achieved what we wanted to. We'd, we'd captured images that we'd only ever dreamed of being able to take. And um, when we got back, it really actually wasn't very long before we were already plotting to go back. Um, and so we did plot to go back, plan to go back, and um, we had that scheduled in for January this year. Um, and we did actually fly to Tasmania, but unfortunately, the day before we were due to fly, they closed the access road to Scotts Peak Dam, which meant that we couldn't do the walk. And so we were pretty upset about that because you know, I was going with a new bunch of friends that had never been there before, and they were pretty shattered that they couldn't see after all of the good photos that they'd seen before that they couldn't take any of them for themselves. Uh, and so, unfortunately, this isn't the Arthurs. Um, this is um, nearby. It's, the, um, it's near Lake Gordon. Um, but that was the same fire that closed the road. And, you know, the bushfires were ravaging the whole state. And, and as we arrived into Tasmania, we had to work out what we, had, what we could do instead. Uh, we actually went on a flight over the area. Um, we could see the devastation ourselves, and, and it wasn't pretty to what we saw. And, um, you know, just um, old rainforest, old growth rainforest just burnt out. Um, from, it all started from lightning strikes. And, and unfortunately, with um, the climate warming, um, th these things may um, be more of a regular occurrence down in Tasmania where, where these forests aren't, they haven't um, had been used to being so dry and had risk of fire. So it was incredible though to see Federation Peak from the air. Um, I'd always wanted to get up close to Federation Peak and one day I hope to get even closer. Uh, but um, that's the tallest cliffs in Australia that you're looking at from the top of Federation Peak down into Lake Jeeves, which you can barely see down the bottom there. Um, and, um, you know, we, we were sort of starting to plot what we are going to do for our plan B. And um, what we decided to do was head into the Labyrinth, which is an area in um, Cradle Mountain, Lake St. Clair National Park. It's on the southern end, um, down near Lake St. Clair. It's about a three hour to Pound Valley Hut, then another three hours probably up to Labyrinth. Uh, and um, it seems pretty amazing, um, and, but I, I could see that there was some potential in infrared, so I actually switched cameras, and um, that's the infrared image that I captured around the same time as the cloud was coming through, um, you know, the, and, and the, the way the pandani looked, I, I, I knew that, you know, that would have been a good shot in competition, so I put it in and it made it into the exhibition. And, I feel like that gave it a lot more mood and emotion than what the, the colour image gave. And I did the same on the following day. This is actually, photographers do like to shoot the same places more than once. And so this is the same scene. But unfortunately what happened the next day was the bushfire smoke started to come in. And so now you can see that you can barely see Mount Gerion in the distance. Um, this is the Pool of Memories area. And so um, again I switched on to infrared. And um, you can see that the infrareds actually cut through all of that bushfire haze and so, uh, bushfire smokes, and so that's really quite a um, quite a cool um, thing to have in your arsenal when you're in these sort of places to be able to to do that. And I guess on that note, I'll sort of talk a bit about infrared now, moving on to the next area. And I often take my infrared camera out into the wilderness uh, and it, it's, it's because it's so small really, I, I have had other infrared cameras with our big DSLRs 
And this one's only about 450 grams, which is still a lot of weight for, to carry around for a long time and up hills and down hills, but it's, it makes it more manageable. And so um, I sh it allows me to shoot in remote places in a different way. And I guess you could say, you know, you can see nature as you've never seen it before. And, um, you know, infrared photography, how it differs from standard photography is you literally are shooting in a different light. So visible light is um, from wavelengths of about 400 to 700 nanometers, and infrared light is about 700 nanometers onwards, um, up to about 900. And so um, you can get really dramatic, really different effects um, from a, a scene that looks maybe even mundane without, without that effect. And this is Mount Gerion also. Um, in the labyrinth area. And um, you can also make the clouds look very dramatic in infrared. So you get the black sky and that white cloud contrasts and it, um, it makes it um, yeah, very moody. And this is the temple in Walls of Jerusalem. And all the delicate patterns show up in, in the clouds. And so um, you can um, really play with that and this dead trees on um, Mount Zion in the walls of Jerusalem area. And you can also get some light reflecting off the surfaces uh, and um, gives it a sense of presence. And this is King David's Peak and walls of Jerusalem. Snow also looks pretty good. Um, I take that up to, took it up to Kosciuszko last time I was up there and um, also, waterfalls look great as well, and this is Belmore Falls down in Morton National Park. Um, so I tried a bit of infrared there. It looks totally different in colour, this scene. The greens are really beautiful, but I think the, um, the moody, misty light that we had um, also works quite well in infrared as well. And um, it also shows up lightning really well, and it's not really a nature image, but um, this one's done quite well for me in photography competitions. And so, Converting an old camera to infrared is a really great way of giving it a new lease on life and so it's always something worth, um, worth trying if you've got an old camera gathering cobwebs in your cupboard. Um, so if you're looking at getting into it, um, you're always welcome to send me an email and I'm happy to help. Uh, so the wilderness. So when I go on a trip, where do I go? So Kosciuszko... Um, photograph there at night has been an amazing experience. Um, so the tour at North Ramshead, um, that's a pretty amazing scene to me and one that um, I'll never forget. Um, a few of my friends, um, we were shooting at that location for about eight hours straight and watching the light change all night. Um, from, from the sunset to then the mist coming in to then it clearing up um, and then the Milky Way coming out. Uh, and um, experiences like that um, really make you want to come back time and time again. Uh, we've been, I've been the same place before and had a 22 degree halo above the, the tour. Um, I've had it with um, some stars above as well. And um, this image was actually in the AG big picture um, in March, April, Australian Geographic big picture. Uh, and um, this, my friends there lined up and the, the sort of beams coming out is their head torch but they're actually breathing into their head torch and it's um, causing the light to sort of spread and it was because it was really cold, I think it would have been at least minus 10 and the water in the um, pool in front of us was actually freezing as we were there 
Uh, so I had to, as I was breathing, um, the water vapour from my breath would actually go onto the lens and then the, it would be iced up and I'd have to clean the ice off the front. So I'd ended up not breathing when I was shooting, <laughs> which isn't advisable. Um, but in this case, if you need to get the shot, you know, just stop breathing, I guess. And so, um, but it, it was a great, great experience. That was the same night as the, the second shot there. Uh, and then, you know, we've got um, Milky Way um, much better. Um, this was around Australia Day last year. Uh, and, you know, this, this a similar scene was on the front cover of Australian Geographic um, in May, June last year for their, um, their light pollution article issue. And we do go up there in snow as well. So um, that's my friend Jake. Um, Trudging through, we go up there in our snowshoes and, and set up camp in the snow and actually photograph the snow gums and, and um, the amazing tours and, and scape, uh, different landscapes. It, it changes so much from, from summer to winter up there. You can, you can shoot up there all year round. You get wildflowers in summer and in winter you get scenes like this. Uh, and and the, the tours and the, the you know, South Ram's head look fantastic as well. You can see the little trig up the top there, um, the summit of South Ram's head. Uh, and um, this is Mount Kosciuszko on the left, and you can see two um, skiers just in the in an area called Rawson's Pass, which is uh, at the base of Kosciuszko there. Um, and, you know, just um, beautiful light across the landscape. Um, and so it's, it's a beautiful place to go any time of year. Except for maybe the midwinter when you know that um, can be a bit dangerous. Uh, Blue Mountains, um, very close to Sydney, um, and such a remarkable place. We're so lucky, so lucky, and um, I think I'd find it very, very hard to move anywhere else ever again after being here because there's so much around Sydney. Um, this is Adelaide Falls um, and the South Lawson Waterfall Circuit. And um, you've also got Sylvia Falls, uh, Junction Falls as well, which is also on the South Lawson Waterfall Circuit. It's a, one of my favourites. And um, I, you know, this is um, in the Gross Valley. It's Boltz's Lookout looking down um, into the Gross Valley about four in the morning. Uh, and I, I got up, we were camping right at this spot. Uh, I got up at about 4am because I'd worked out that the Milky Way was going to be in that position. I didn't know the moon was going to be there, but that was a nice surprise. And so um, I tried to get my friends to wake up and, you know, I was saying how there was a cloud inversion and it was looking great, but no one got up. And so I was quite happy that I at least got a shot and, and I had to show them later, which they weren't happy about. Uh, and and that's, this is the same location, it's a hanging rock. Um, and um, this, this place is absolutely magnificent as well. It's one of my favourites. And um, this shot was also um, put on a cover of an Ausgeo um, magazine, um, the special edition in, in June 2015. Uh, and then we've got the Walls of Jerusalem. So that's a spot that um, I've gone to more recently. Um, I actually spent um, New Year's Eve um, this year there which was um, amazing. Uh, and this is at um, Pool of Siloam. Uh, and West Walls of Jerusalem um, very luckily didn't get burnt out in the re recent bushfires, but it got very close. It's one of the, I think it is the largest stand of these pencil pines um, in the world. Um, and some of those trees are so old, you, it's, you sort of almost feel the presence when you're around them, it's quite special. And, um, you know, the way the light hits the faces of the uh, mountains there at sunset is, is really stunning. 
and um, this is um, Mount Jerusalem um, reflected in, in a, a pool um, down that way. And um, King David's Peak from the temple, that's another great spot. That's quite a climb for sunrise to get up there, um, but well worth it. And then uh, some couple others of Pool of Siloam as well, um, just a really stunning area. And um, I'm really looking forward to going back there and, and hopefully getting some scoparia next time. And um, you have to include Cradle Mountain Lake St. Clair National Park. I've already talked about it, but it's, um, it's just an, an amazing area. I was lucky to do the Overland Track for a third time this year, and I did it in May. And um, luckily, we actually got a dump of snow the day before we left, and so we had a, a winter wonderland in May, which was great. And that's one thing about Tassie. Um, it doesn't really matter what time of year it is. Um, you can get snow any time. So you have to be always prepared. And um, this is, I really love the way that the, uh, the snow sort of framed the overland track in these images and, and also, you know, have the pandani um, poking its head through the, the snow as well. You have the, um, so this is Douglas Creek and so uh, Douglas Creek is near New Pelion Hut. Um, it's a little area called the Grotto and um, just really wonderful um, uh, and because of the amount of snowfall I'd had, it was really um, quite pumping too in terms of the amount of water flowing through there. And um, that's a scoparia plant um, on Cradle Circle looking towards the mountains um, um, in, in um, the, the, I guess the overland track walks down into all of those mountains there so you can sort of see the, what you've got to walk through when, you, when you're starting the track. And, um, you know, you can have a meal in some pretty amazing places like um, some having some freeze-dried um, bonanza there. Um, it's at um, Pool of Memories as well. And um, I'm, there's me standing next to some pandani plants and they're um, the tallest heath plant, or well, largest heath plant in the world. And, um, you know, really fascinating and such a great thing to have in the landscape. And um, this is the, the feeling of being on the track as well and walking through the rainforest. Uh, it's, it's really stunning. Waterfalls. And um, I had to put another Barn Bluff shot in there because it's my favourite mountain. And um, I climbed it, so that was, that was pretty cool. And that's um, Cradle Mountain there on the left. Um, looks quite um, different to what you'd normally see, but it changes dramatically depending on the angle that you look at it. Uh, and um, it's really quite a gnarly climb getting up the top of Barn Bluff, but the views are amazing. Uh, a bit closer to home in the Warren Bungles. Um, that's not, that's about a, I think it's an eight hour drive from, from Sydney. Uh, it's quite a fair way away, but it is doable in a, a weekend. We have done it as a weekend trip before. Um, a lot of driving, but um, if you get conditions like this, then um, it's always worth it. Uh, and that's, of course, famous for the bread knife, which um, looks amazing at sunrise when the sunlight lights up the face of, of the rock. Uh, and um, yeah, just tried a different angle there. And um, Bluedry Spire. So there's all, all these sort of old volcanic um, cones, that are volcanic plugs, rather, that have, that have been left behind um, from extinct vol volcanoes. And um, because it's a dark sky reserve, um, the, the stars are out of this world there and so it's an awesome place to, to, to shoot for astrophotography as well. And so um, I'm really looking forward to going back there 
next year because it's a bit late now in the astrophotography season to get these sort of shots um, there. And um, as Sarah mentioned, Lara Pinta, um, amazing spot as well. Um, I underestimated how amazing this place is. Um, very, very rugged terrain. Um, I ruined my hiking shoes, very, very ruined them on this walk. Um, the, it's all rock pretty much uh, and um, very hard going because it's up and down, up and down, just like the um, Arthur's is. Um, and a lot of the guides that are on the track are Tasmanian. In fact, I think they all are. Um, and that they do the Larapinta Trail in the off season. So because it's too cold to do walking in Tasmania, they come up, do the Larapinta Trail, and then they all go back to Tasmania again. So they're all pretty hardy guys, the guides that, that walk those tracks. Uh, this is um, one uh, beautiful tree that I found. Um, I should mention too, if you're not sure, the Larapinta Trail goes through the West McDonnell Ranges um, near um, Alice Springs in, in the Northern Territory. Uh, and this is uh, the last day where we um, climbed Mount Sonda for sunrise and we had the layers of mountains effect which is um, always very photogenic and if you can find yourself a scene that does this at sunrise, um, it always has a lot of power. Uh, one um, feature of the landscape I'd never heard of is Brinkley Bluff, which um, was absolutely stunning at sunset. And the, the, the colour of the light at sunset there is, is, um, is really quite incredible. Um, it's like a deep red. I held up my hand and, and looked at it and it was just like a blood colour. Um, and then the rock's already quite red, so you get really stunning um, scenes. And that's um, near Birthday Waterhole, which is one of our campsites. And so, um, yeah, big sun star coming off next to Brinkley Bluff there and, and ghost gums everywhere, which are the most incredible trees. And um, Euro Ridge, uh, which is near Alice Springs. You can actually see um, Alice in the distance there lit up. Um, so that's on at the end of the first day of the um, Larapita Trail. And um, that's looking the other way and um, looking along the Larapinta Trail and, and um, more um, lovely light. So I captured so many great images in the red centre in Tasmania. Um, and there's not much point in having images like this if you can't share them. Like I can speak about them here now, but if I didn't put them onto something like social media or um, get them out off my hard drive, then, then um, I, I'm compelled to do that. I, I want to people to share the same experiences that I've had that you know really have left an impression on me and help them to realise how amazing things are. And you don't have to go overseas. There's, you can have incredible experiences even just in Australia. And so with that, I'll talk a bit about Instagram because that's my favourite way of sharing my photography at the moment. Um, and you know, I love posting images on Instagram because the platform is very easy to use. Uh, and, and I guess there's no fluff either, like it's just the image, it's just the caption and it's very easy for people to engage with your work. Uh, and I never really intended Instagram to be a big, big thing for me, but um, I did take it quite seriously in terms of building a following and um, I thought that I'd put a, together a few tips um, in terms of what I've done in my journey um, to be able to build the following that, that I have. And, and it's really important to note as well that um, 
there's nothing wrong if you don't want to grow a following. Um, if you can have fun and, and you know, social media is a bit of a game and, and those kind of things. But um, this is, these are tips if you, if you wanted to, to do that. So first of all, the, the quality of images is really the key with Instagram, I think. That's what, that's what I've always, how I've approached it. I've thought if um, the image isn't up to my standard, then I won't post it. Um, and so it's better to post a low number of high quality images than a high number of low quality images. Um, that's really important because you want people to, uh, that's what people are assessing your um, capabilities from. Consistency keeps people coming back. So the, the daily posting will grow your account really fast. Um, that's, I was actually doing that. I was posting every, every weekday for quite a period of time to grow my account. Um, and I had the weekends off, which was, which was a relief. <laughs> um, I post it, um, you also want to post at times where people are using the platform. Generally they say it's about 8 p.m. but um, whatever works really. These days because the feed and Instagram isn't chronological, um, they've mixed it up a little bit. It probably doesn't matter quite so much the actual time you post but um, that's something to consider. Uh, and um, the other things I, I really think is important is to engage with the community on there. Like it is actually quite a community and I've made a lot of friends through being on that platform. I would never expected that. And to be honest, pretty much everyone I've met has been amazing. So I've had a great time with it. And so you have to really comment and like on other people's images just to, to get in the mix and be genuine about it and, and just have fun. Obviously hashtags help people find your images, so the more hashtags you put on your images, um, you can have um, up to 30 per post, so always make sure you use them. And be really um, careful about who you're trying to tag, uh, because um, you want to get noticed by feature accounts, and, and that's really um, where most of your following is actually going to come from. Um, they can get your audience as big as 10 million. Um, you'll see in a sec I got followed by an, an account recently that had 9.4 million followers. Um, and Tourism Australia accounts at 2.3 million. So um, if you tag See Australia on the image, then See Australia will look through all of the images in there, uh, Tourism Australia rather, which is at Australia. They'll look through all of the um, hashtags under See Australia and they'll pick out an image that they'll want to reshare. And so if you have your shot tagged that, then you're always in the chance of getting that. And in this case, I got a, a share and got quite a lot of um, um, engagement um, from that. And, and what happens when you get a share is that they'll look through the caption and they'll see who took the photo and then they'll click on that person's um, account and, and then they'll actually work out whether they want to follow them or not. And if you have a, a really um, good looking Instagram grid, um, if your page or your, your you know, three by three grid there looks really nice, then, then that um, is often a gauge of what people will use to, if they want to follow you or not. Post meaningful descriptive captions. So most of your hashtags should go in the comments. So you normally just put like a really relevant couple hashtags in the actual caption and in the comments below, put all of your hashtags in there. And the other thing is that you have to be patient um, and it can be a, a grind you need to keep at it. So it's not something that's going to happen overnight for sure. And if it does happen overnight, generally someone's bought them. And you know, you've got to also be prepared that people are going to end up trying to copy you. Um, this is pretty 
close attempt um, to my image on the left versus the one on the right. Um, and sometimes you're gonna get, you might not be get given any credit for your work. Um, but the, the most important thing is just to not worry about it because uh, at the end of the day, you know, um, it is a game and, and people are gonna try and maybe play dirty or, or what have you, but you just have to just keep doing and, and sticking to your thing. So this is just a bit of a quick one just to give an idea of um, growth on Instagram and also how long it takes. So um, this is a screenshot I took just after I got back from the Western Arthurs and this was at the end of February 2015 and I'd hit 4,000 followers and I was really, really happy about that. Uh, and then at the end of May 2015, um, I was at 8,000 followers and then um, Today, I'm at um, 60.3 thousand. And that, so it's about 18 months um, from when I was at 4,000, now I've got that, that much. And uh, so how did, I, how did I do that? Well, I, I really did just keep doing everything that I've just said before. Um, but initially, I did get help with some tourism account features. Uh, for example, Tourism Tasmania looked after me quite well and I got featured in, um, on their hub or their, their feature account and also um, on, um, in this article um, because they were talking about Tourism Tasmania's at Tasmania account getting 100,000 followers and now 18 months later they're at 300,000. So uh, while some tourism accounts are quite big, uh, there are other feature accounts that are much, much bigger. Uh, and um, I've had one particular image that's actually driven pretty much most of my following, or maybe that's over the top, but quite a lot of my following. And that's this image of um, figure eight pool. Uh, if you look at the number of likes that's happened in the bottom there, that's over 210,000 across those three um, images. Now, this image has been um, featured by accounts of, I think it's about 170 times. So if you add up the combined number of views and the number of interaction, amount of interaction that you'll have coming back, uh, then, then you can see how much uh, impact one image can actually make. Uh, unfortunately, this has had a, a bad effect as well because um, there's been a lot of talk about social media encouraging people to go to figure eight pool and people getting washed off rock platforms. And um, I don't... I, I changed the caption of all of my images to say, this is a dangerous area, please don't go there. Um, uh, but um, th those things can happen. So your images can also have a negative impact. You can be encouraging people to get out there and explore and, and you know, find the world, but it can also mean that people also, um, rather than planning for a year to get to a place like we would do, they decide to um, just go there in their thongs and see how it all works out. And, and unfortunately, that's, that's what happens. So um, it can go both ways. And, um, and, but that's, that's essentially um, it. If you can get big shares from big hubs, you'll get maybe a 1,000 followers in, in a day. And, and, and you get enough of that, and, and it will, will climb. Uh, so I thought I would um, finish off with the, the most important things that for a landscape photographer. Uh, and um, anyone have an idea what the most important thing would be for a landscape photographer? Yeah, you know, camera's a pretty, pretty obvious one, but it's definitely family. Um, and this is, um, it's probably a little, you know, obvious to say that, but 
Um, the amount of effort that people like this put up with is pretty amazing. <coughs> I, I probably won't talk any more about that one, um, but um, it's, it's, a, it's when you're out in the wilderness for two weeks at a time and you don't have anyone to talk to or you're, you're doing the hard yards, it's, it's very important to have that there for you. And, and your friends as well. So, you know, a lot of these trips, I wouldn't have been able to do these trips if it wasn't for my friends coming with me because, you know, friends, are, friends have been uh, encouraging and helping me get out to these places. I haven't done any of these trips solo. And so without their support and without their help, um, I wouldn't even have any of the images. In fact, one friend has invited me out to do the Overland Track for the first time. So if he didn't do that and if I didn't say yes, then none of it would have happened to start with. So they're really important and, and um, you know, the, the, a lot of these things are not really valued as much as they should be. And uh, to me, they're, they're very important. And I've put a lot of effort into building my social network because I, it's important to me. Um, Fitness is another one, um, so it's a huge one, and um, very. Um, you only have to do a big walk um, to realise how important fitness is, uh, and especially you know, photographers are carrying five kilograms more than than most hikers do, and so you have to have you've got it like almost like a, a handicap there in a way. Um, you you've, you have to go for tough terrain. Um, you have to climb, you go through a lot of pairs of shoes, and um, when you do a big walk, yeah, it, it's, um, it, you feel it, and so you need to have that fitness. And you can really see from the size of the pack um, what, what's involved. Planning's another huge, huge one, and, and no photo really, I mean, okay, they can happen by chance, but um, they still had to be there to start with to capture the photo, and so um, here's a, you know, an image here of me planning when the Milky Way will be at um, Lake Oberon, and it didn't look too good, so I wasn't so happy about that. Um, and you know, looking at what the forecast's going to be, and looking at some maps, and and really um, planning um, how you're going to shoot, what you're going to shoot, what do you, what's the what's the view that you want? Do you want the Milky Way? Is it going to be a sunset? Where's the light? All of that um, is thought of before we even go out there, because. We're only there, we've put so much effort to getting there, we, we need to know what we're gonna do when we get there or else um, all of that effort may have been put to waste. And talking on the, the, the fitness side, you could, be, you could have made it there, but you could be absolutely exhausted. And so if you haven't um, had that fitness um, to actually have the energy to get up and take photos, um, it's the same thing, you need to plan for that. Persistence. Um, it's an image from um, Cradle Mountain Lake St. Clair and this is about optimism, never saying die. When we, we flew into the, the, the um, we wanted to do the Western Arthurs, we couldn't do it because of the bushfires, but we, we didn't say, oh, well, that's it, we won't go. We, we found something else to shoot and ended up getting a shot into this exhibition from, from that persistence. Adaptability. Um, this image um, was never meant to happen. Um, we were meant to be in Mount Kosciuszko this weekend and um, what happened was the winds were too strong so we had to find something else to photograph and we went to the coast looking at what the Milky Way was doing. It looked good to go to this location, Horsehead Rock in Bermagui and so we, um, we, we went there and, and, and captured this image and we're so glad that we did um, have have a disappointment, you know, we didn't get what we wanted, but we actually came away with something maybe even better.
And um, finally, um, this is my last slide, um, courage. Um, and that, that's, that's something that, um, that's very important and um, it just comes from within, obviously. And this is um, in, the, in the Woolamai National Park in a canyon. And um, when you go into a canyon, it's quite a foreboding place. You're in a wetsuit, you're going through very cold water and um, you, you know, can be quite claustrophobic. And to get to the end and, and see a beam of light, it's all, all worth it. But you have to have the courage to actually be able to, to get there to start with. And, and so, um, yeah. So um, thanks very much for, for listening to me speak tonight. Um, I hope you all learnt something. And, um, you know, my, my goal is to make sure that you, you all sort of get inspired by what we have in Australia and, and the amazing landscape that we have. Um, you can find a little bit more about me um, uh, on, on my website uh, if you haven't had a look. And um, you're always welcome to email me, info at lukesharky.com. I've got a whole set of my cards out there. You're most welcome to take um, one or a card if you, if you would like to. Um, and that, would be, that would be no problem. And um, I do workshops as well. So I haven't got any to actually talk about at the moment because I'm still planning next year's calendar. But um, if you subscribe to my mailing list, um, when they are announced, um, we'll, we'll, um, you know, uh, you'll, you'll get all of that information from the mailing list. So um, thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, have a good evening. <laughs>